The following shiur is presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen, Dayan in Beddin Ahavat Shalom in Yerushalayim, an author of Pure Money. For more shiurim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. This is Rabbi Shlomo Cohen with the shiur on Parshat Vayishlach. Yaakov Avinu has left the home of Lavan and he knows very well that he now has to go to war with Esav. The Pasha opens Vaishlach Yaakov Melachim Lefanav El Esav Achiv Ad Sasir Sdeedom. And he commanded them that this is what you must say to Esav. Try and appease him. The opening words that Yaakov Avinu sends to Esav, it's an appeasement. That's the way that Yaakov is preparing for his confrontation with Esav Harasha, who he knows is out to kill him. The first thing is to be clever and to try and appease your enemy. Then we see that Yaakov prays. He prays to Hashem. After he sent the messengers to do their work, which is the appeasement, he sits down and he prays to Hashem, Hatsileini na. He prays to Hashem, save me now from my brother, Esav. And the words he says are actually a bit interesting. He says, Hatsileini ya miyad achi, miyad Esav. Save me, he prays to Hashem, from the hands of my brother, from the hands of Esav. Why is there that double language that he should be saved miyad achi miyad esav? Just say, save me miyad achi. Hashem knows that it's esav. Or save me miyad esav. Hashem knows that that's his brother. Why did he need to say, atzileini na miyad achi miyad esav? Esav comes to us in two different ways. And we have the rule, ma'ase avot siman lebanim. Whatever happens to our forefathers in the, in, is, a, is a sign of what's going to happen to us. We are now told by Hazal that we are in the, the, the Galut of Esav. Esav is the ruling non-Jewish um, government, if you like, over us. And Esav can come, come to us in two ways. He can come to us as a brother, with open arms. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to harm you in any way. I want to love you. And through that um, hugging and bringing us close, they can destroy us. Because we'll stop being Jewish. We'll assimilate. That's Achi Esav. When Esav comes as a brother... And he wants us to assimilate together with him. That's a very dangerous side to Esav. He doesn't want to kill us. He doesn't want to harm us. He just wants us to be like him. To be with him. To intermarry with him. To stop being so different. Why do you Jews have to be different all the time? Just be like us. Be like everybody else. That's when Esav comes as a brother. That was 
the way in the time of um, of Hanukkah, when the Greeks wanted to destroy the Jewish people. They didn't say that we're going to kill you. We just want you to be like us. We don't want to harm you. Just stop learning Torah and stop being different. That's Asaf, my brother. Be like us. We don't want to harm you. And that's the very dangerous side of Asaf. That's the first one that's mentioned. That save me from my brother Asaf. When he comes as a brother to hug me and kiss me. And be like me and be with me. That's a dangerous Asaf for the Jewish people. And then there's the other type of Asaf. Asaf who wants to kill me. That we found in the time of Purim. With Haman Arasha. He wanted to kill and destroy us. With Hitler. He didn't want, he wasn't interested in us converting and assimilating with the Germans. They didn't want any assimilation. They just want to kill us. To destroy us. To wipe us off the face of the earth. That is Asaf. Asaf who wants to destroy us and annihilate us completely. What happened with our forefathers is a sign of what we later are going to go through. That we have a, a, a battle with two different types of Asaf. With the Asaf that wants us to be a brother, to assimilate with him, and the Asaf who wants to fight us and kill us. And we need to be saved from both of them because both of them are just two different ways of destroying the Jewish people. That is, in fact, the difference between Hanukkah and Purim, if you look at it. At Hanukkah time, the the Greeks wanted to assimilate us. They didn't want to harm us physically. At Purim time, they wanted to harm us physically, to destroy us. And if you look at the, 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 the way we saved ourselves, it's also interesting. At the time of Hanukkah, where the Greeks wanted to assimilate us, the way we fought was by going to battle. Right? The Hashmonaim went to battle. And at the time of Haman, when the Jews, when the, when the, the Goyim wanted to destroy us and annihilate us physically, there what saved us was prayer. Esther made everyone fast, she fasted and she told Knosset Kola Yehudim, get all the Jews together that everyone should, should pray and fast, and that's the way to be saved when Esav wants to physically destroy us. So Yaakov Avinu knew that he was in for a battle here. He prayed first, then he sent gifts. That's the next stage that we find. But while he's sending the gifts, he's preparing himself for battle. He split up his camp, he had tactics. He split up his camp into two, so that if one gets destroyed, the other one will be always, might, might get away. Very clever tactics when you're going to war, to split your camp in some way, to confuse the enemy. But that, the going to battle, is the last resort. First of all, we're praying. Secondly, we're trying to appease, to negotiate. And thirdly, we have always the option that we're going to go to war, if none of the other ways can save us. So Yaakov prays to Hashem, save me. He was worried. We're told that Yaakov was afraid that maybe he would be killed, said Rashi, says Rashi. Why was he afraid? 
He had a promise. He had a promise from Hashem that he's going to be the future of the Jewish people. That a great people will come out of him. He'll have um, he'll have uh, descendants like the stars in the skies. Why was he afraid? He has a promise from Hashem. But the answer is that every promise from Hashem, if you're not worthy of it, if you've done Averot, then things can be changed. With us Jews, nothing is definite. Anything can be changed. Even when Hashem says he's going to, something good is going to be decreed for us. If we muck it up by doing Averot, by not treating each other correctly, and not treating other people correctly, and doing Averot, then we can ruin everything. That's what Yaakov was afraid of, that maybe he has done some sins for which he doesn't deserve to be saved from this battle. When you go into a dangerous battle, you need all your schuyot, you need all your merits to stand up for you. When going to war, do we want to go to war? Do the Jews want to go to war? We never want to go to war. Our prayer is always, as we see in <coughs> in the, the prophet of Yeshayahu, of Isaiah, that the, 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 the promise, what we hope and pray for in the time of Mashiach, is that there will be no more battles, that we shall beat our swords into plowheads and spears into preening hooks. Nations will no longer lift up sword against other nations. They will no longer learn war. That is the Jewish prayer. That is the prayer for the times of the Messiah, of Mashiach, that there will be no more war. We don't want wars. And we want, you know, it's interesting to look at the way that Hashem looked at us during the times when we did have to go to war. We have a, a lot of halachot that are connected to going to war. We're told in the Torah how to go to war. But nevertheless, it's something that we don't want. The first thing we find is by King David. The Torah tells us that there are times when we're going to have to go to war until Mashiach comes. But it establishes boundaries for us. How to conduct a war. The moral standards of a war. Who takes part in the war and the conduct of the soldiers that are involved. There's an emphasis from the Torah on the way that soldiers behave when, when at a time of war. And we see that the Torah is concerned with their spiritual well-being. At the time of war, someone who hasn't been in war can never really understand how much adrenaline starts pumping when you're killing. When you're in the business of killing, and, and killing people, terrible things can take over a person. The Torah tells us that we people must control themselves at the time of war. And the Torah is concerned with our spiritual well-being at the time. We find a tremendous thing that King David, King David went to war. And because of that, even though it was right a righteous war, 
he was prevented from building the Beit HaMikdash. The first Beit HaMikdash David, King David did not bring, build. His son Stromo built the Beit HaMikdash. Why? In Divrei Ayamim it says, Vayomer David leShlomo beno bni. Ani yem levavol if not Beit Hashem, Beit Hashem. I want to build the 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 house of Hashem. But then Hashem said to him, "You've spilt much blood." Hinei ben nolad lecha, you have just had a son. Who ye ish menucha v'anachotlo mikol oivav misaviv? Ki shlomo ye shemo v'shalom v'sheket iten al Yisrael biyamav. And during his time, there will be peace. But you, David, said Hashem, seeing as you've spilt much blood, you can't be the one that's going to build the Beit HaMikdash. The Beit HaMikdash, which is all for peace and shalom, is something that someone who's spilled blood just cannot do. It's not for you to build the Beit HaMikdash, even though all the wars that David HaMelech fought were wars that were fought with permission from Hashem. We also find in another halacha, a Kohen who has killed someone even unintentionally cannot serve in the Beit HaMikdash. Today, even in our times, a Kohen who has killed someone cannot go up to the Dukhan to do Birkat Kohenim. Even though he did it unintentionally, a driver in a car accident that kills someone unintentionally will not be allowed to do Birkat Kohanim until he does tshuva for what he did. All the more so, yeah, it, it, the, the war shedding also applies if he did the shedding of the blood in war. Any specific questions a rabbi needs to be asked about how to do tshuva for such things and whether you can afterwards do Birkat Kohanim. But we see that spilling of blood is something that is, that is abhorrent to us, abhorrent to the Jewish religion. But nevertheless, we find that our Torah understands us. It says when you go out to war, if you see a beautiful woman, the Torah understands that you're in a difficult situation, the adrenaline's running, there's a things again, that for someone who hasn't been to war, and I haven't been to war, we can't understand these things, we can't understand how these things work, but we're told, that there is a tremendous, tremendous rush of adrenaline and people can do all sorts of things. But nevertheless, the Torah tries to control them. If you see a beautiful woman, so don't just grab her. There's a way. There's a way to do this. Right? And that's the halachot of Eishet Yafat Torah, that you see this woman that you have to treat her correctly. And only then can you have relations with her. By the time she's gone through the whole stage, you probably wouldn't want to anyway. You've calmed down now. The Ramban explains that the human nature is that all moral restraints are lowered at the time of war. And we shed our sense of shame that we normally have. Shed theft. Immorality, they are byproducts of the cruelty 
that envelops a soldier when he's involved in war. And therefore we find that there are special emphases in the Torah on keeping your camp pure. The camp where the Jew, where the army is going to be camping must be kept clean and pure. Ve'yeh machanecha kadosh. Because we're told Hashem himself is in your camp and he's together with you when we're going to war. In any war, there was a special coin appointed. Mashuach Milchamai was called. He would speak to the troops and encourage them. He was anointed and was responsible to the Kohen Agadol. And he would announce to all the people that there are some people that shouldn't be going to war. It says in Dvarim, in Perik Chaf, when you go out to war, and you see that your enemies outnumber you, you shouldn't be afraid of them, because Hashem is with you, the Hashem who took you out of Egypt. And then we're told that when just before going to war, the Kohen would speak to everyone, and he would announce and say, Shema Yisrael, you're now coming up to go to war with your, with our enemies. Don't be weak. Don't be afraid. Hashem is with you in this, in the, in the war and he will always be there to protect you. They would pass this on, but then they would say things like, anyone who's just built a new house, below Khan Khan, he hasn't yet lived in it, that he should go home now. Someone who's just planted a vineyard and hasn't yet eaten the fruits, he should go home now. Someone who's just got engaged should go home. And finally, anyone who's afraid would be go, would go home. Who would not be afraid? After this list of people that we sent home, the only people you're going to have left are the right, left are the righteous, old righteous people. These are the guys that are going to go to war. These are the guys that are going to fight our enemies. You can see, you can imagine the, the the Navy SEALs approaching a whole load of old Jewish men who are, uh, are so righteous that they're not afraid that they might even get killed in the war. All the young people have already gone home. Because they've just got married, they've just got engaged, they've just built houses. So all you've got left are the old people, and these are the people that are going into battle. But our battles are not normal battles. Because Hashem is with us, and Hashem is fighting our battles for us. So miracles can happen, just like we saw at the time of Hanukkah. That anyone, that the people who went to battle were old, old, frail people. Like an old, old, frail people were the ones that went to, to battle. Not young, healthy people. In the special mitzvah that we find not to be afraid, Rabbi Akiva says, or he asks, is it, is it that you're going to be afraid of war? Or that you're, you're afraid that your sense of mercy may affect your ability to fight? Rav Yosia Galili says that someone who knows he's a sinner 
he's the one who's going to be afraid. But these, so these guys wouldn't be going straight out to war, but we're told that they would be giving supplies to the army. But someone who's newly married, he wouldn't even give supplies. He would go back and build his home. Building of a solid Jewish home is so important that it would exempt you from war completely. Nevertheless, the Mishnah in Sota tells us that all these exceptions of people who wouldn't go to war, they only apply to what's called a Milchemet Rishut. There were two types of wars, a Milchemet Rishut and a Milchemet Mitzvah. A Milchemet Rishut is a discretionary war. It wasn't something that we were obligated to do. It would be from a, a need to capture new lands. But a Milchemet Mitzvah, that's an obligatory, obligatory law. To save the land of Israel. For this type of war, we're told that everyone would go out. The Rambam explains that a Milchemet Mitzvah was like, a, like the wars of Yeshua to free the land of Israel from the seven, seven nations, or the war to wipe out Amalek, or to defend Israel against enemy attacks. All these were considered as a Milchemet Mitzvah, where everyone would go out. A discretionary war, a Milchemet Rashut, that was to enlarge the boundaries, like those fought by King David. They were Milchemet Rashut. But nevertheless, even though they were Rashut, permission was given from heaven, they, 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 for, for, for the Jews to go out to these wars. There's a discussion, what about a preemptive strike against your enemies? We all know the importance of making a preemptive strike when your enemy is about to attack you. You don't wait for him to attack, you attack first. Is that considered as a discretionary thing? As a milchemet rashut? Because you're not under attack right now. Or an obligatory thing, right? There are different opinions, but I mean, I think we would all understand that such a thing would be um, a milchemet mitzvah, because self-defense to a, t- a preemptive strike, excuse me, is is uh, is part of defense. It's not part of an attack. A preemptive strike is when someone is about to attack you, that you attack them first. Not because you want to attack them, because seeing as you see that they're about to attack you, so you better start moving now. So that's a defense. So that would come into the category, I think, clearly of a Muhammad mitzvah. But however, nevertheless, I must tell you that there are poskim that say that it's a Muhammad rishut, where you do take a preemptive attack. Every time there was a Muhammad rishut, they would have to get permission from the Sanhedrin before going to war. The Ramban says, they would also have to, to ask the Urim Vatumim, the Urim Vatumim with the stones on the Choshen Mishpat, on the Choshen of the Kohen Agadol, that they would miraculously give answers to questions that, that the Jewish people had. Did the women also go to war? It says in a Muhammad Mitzvah, you take out even a Kala, even a bride has to go out and fight in the war of a Muhammad Mitzvah. The Rashash in Sota says that they would only bring supplies. They wouldn't actually be in the front lines fighting, but they would be involved in the support for the army. The Radbad says it's only the Chatan who goes to war. 
She just cancels the wedding. Some say that to wear a gun would be considered as what's called low tilbash. There's a prohibition for a woman to wear men's clothing. If a, if a gun is a man's thing, which some postkim have said, then that would be a reason why they wouldn't be able to go to war. But Rabbeinu Peret says that no. That when we say lo tilbash, that's limited to tzniut, to modesty. And it's certainly not something that would forbid women to take part in a war. The first thing we always do as tactics in a war, says the Torah, is to offer peace, just like Yaakov Avinu did in this week's Pasha. The Rambam says that that applies to all types of war, whether it's a Milchemet Rashut or a Milchemet Mitzvah. Rashi says that only applies to a Milchemet Rashut. In a Milchemet Mitzvah, we don't offer peace at first. Because by asking for peace first, the importance of asking for, for peace first is that it prevents war, prevents killing, and it teaches us compassion. How do you do the war? Strategy. The Torah tells us that you must always leave a way out. You must leave a way out for your enemy. When you surround his camp or when you surround his town, don't surround it completely. Leave him a way out. The Ramban tells us that there are two reasons for this. When we find that, um, when we, when the Jews were fighting the Midianim, they left one side open for the Midianim to escape. What's the reason for this? Says the Ramban, there are two different reasons behind it. One of it, one of the reasons is to encourage compassion and mercy. We don't want to destroy ourselves internally and spiritually to corrupt ourselves and become incompassionate murderers. So it would be a compassionate thing and a merciful thing to leave a way out for our enemies. The second reason would be a tactical reason. When someone hasn't got a way out, they fight much harder. When someone knows that their back's to the wall and they've got no way out, they fight with extra strength. And so leaving them a way out is a way to weaken them. To weaken our enemies by giving them a way to run away. So they always know they can run away. So they won't fight so hard. But when someone knows that there's no way out, then they stand and fight with all their strength. And that we don't want to happen because it will cause more bloodshed. If you've ever tried to, if you've ever walked into a room and cornered a dog or a cat, Right, you know that what you must do is to move aside and leave them room to run away. As long as they think they can run away, they'll run away. But if they don't think they can run away, then they'll attack you. So that's a tactical thing, to leave them a way out in order that they won't fight so hard. The Rambam says that that applies also in Milchemet Mitzvah, not just in the Milchemet Rashut. I remember many years ago when I was... In school, I was in a, in a boarding school. And one evening we caught a thief that came into our, into our dormitories. And he ran, he ran very, very quickly. He ran out of a window and jumped and ran away. We all went running after him. 
And this week, he was a, wasn't a very healthy guy. He was large and plump. But he managed, while running away from us, to jump over a two-meter-high wall with one jump. And when we got to the wall, we, none of us could get over it. How could that be? We were all athletic and perfectly fit. And this guy was a plump thief. But he knew that if we caught him, then it was over. He'd be going to jail. He had his back to the wall. And that gave him extra strength to jump over this two meter high wall. We, if we didn't catch him, no big deal. Nothing's going to happen if we don't catch him. So for us, it weakened us. And so that's really, that's what's behind this tactic of um, leaving a way out for our enemies. There are even special halachot about what we're allowed to destroy during a war. Are you allowed to destroy trees, fruit trees? Um, there are special halachot about what we're allowed to do and when you're allowed to destroy a tree. Spoils of war. The Rambam says that they go to the soldiers um, as their salary for going to the war. But we also find that there's something Musari not to take the spoils of war. We find in Megillat Esther that when the Jews took revenge on the non-Jews that were trying to kill them at that time, in the time of Haman Rasha, that they didn't touch the spoils, we're told. A high moral standard. That's always going to be expected of us, of the Jews, in, in whatever situation you might be in. Because the most important things for us, as Jews, is our moral standards. And if that's going to be destroyed and ruined, then we don't want any part of it. So let's all remember that why we see that our Torah explains to us how to go to war. If we need to go to war, our aim is to not have to go to war. We want peace. We're a peaceful people. As, let me repeat the words we started with in the prophet of Isaiah, Yishayahu. That the, every, everyone will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations, nations will not lift up the swords against other nations and no longer will people learn war. That is our aim. Shabbat Shalom to all of you. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of Halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a halachic consultation, monetary Beddin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, or for all other information, please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email info at theshc.org to subscribe.